We return this morning to Matthew chapter 6. We pick up at verse 16 and read this morning and study 16 to 18. Matthew 6, 16 to 18 this morning. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Father, it is no surprise to us to read in the text that you know all things. And therefore, this morning, you know the heart of every worshiper as to whether our minds are upon you and upon the Word, upon the truth of Christ, upon your glory, upon your goodness, upon your praise or whether we're thinking about the Detroit Tigers or some other goofy thing. God help us to understand the vast difference between religion focused upon men and the truth of Christ focused upon the heart and the soul. May we be people this morning that respond to you from the heart and the soul even as we listen to the words of King Jesus, as revealed in his messianic manifesto long ago. Help us then today as we think upon the uniqueness of the topic presented to us as one of the facets of worship done right. Help us to enter into the logic and the application for the benefit of our souls. And for that, we will praise you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Most of you know that John the Baptizer fasted a lot and that the Lord Jesus feasted a lot. And the religionists of that day were pleased with neither John or Jesus. God has always been interested and is ever only interested in internal righteousness, a heart that is bent towards him, not mere external ritual perfunctory performance. God demands devotion of each worshiper in the heart. We now come to the third illustration in this sixth chapter of Matthew of righteous worship and devotion each illustration underscoring the foolishness of hypocrisy and the foolishness of pagan ritual. The word moreover, verse 16, moreover when ye fast, the word moreover grammatically takes us back to the word and in verse 5, and when thou prayest, and that takes us back all the way to verse 1 
and the original thought of doing charitable deeds or almsgiving. The first illustrative topic that King Jesus talked about in regards to worship and devotion when teaching in this extended format concerning his messianic manifesto to the nation of Israel at a given point in time, his first illustrative topic was almsgiving, acts of charity done right. King Jesus taught that no one should do their charitable deeds to be seen by other people, but rather to do what they did or were going to do as an action or response to Almighty God. And then in verse 5, King Jesus said not to pray hypocritically or to be seen of men. Uh, Don't pray repetitiously as do the pagans, just nailing the thing and nailing the thing and nailing the thing. Same words, over and over and over and over and over and over. But rather to give attention to prayers after the model prayer as we've studied it over many recent weeks seen in verses 9 through 13. And now at verse 16, moreover, alms was first, then the topic of prayer, now the topic of fasting. And King Jesus said, do not fast before the eyes of men. Now in each case, the problem is ritual. In each case, the problem is useless religious activity. And it is useless because it secures and maintains no real relationship with God. God hates such ritual and religious activity. And therefore, we can say boldly that God hates an awful lot of what goes on in churches. And if we're not careful, he'll hate what's going on here. He may well hate what we're doing here this morning unless there's somebody thinking about what it is that would please God in a Sunday morning hour such as this. I would call your attention to a word of repetition in the text. It kind of helps us to see the continuity and theme and flow of the thing, and that's the word when. Verse 2, therefore when. Verse 3, but when. And verse 5. And when, and verse 6, but thou when, and verse 7, and when, or but when, ye pray, uh, verse 7. And then verse 16, moreover, when, and 17, but thou when. Uh, That word does not refer to time. That word is referring to a condition, a practice in the life of a worshiper. Righteous acts of giving, righteous acts of prayer, and righteous acts of self-denial flow out of a tender heart for God. That would be the positive point here, that righteous acts of giving, righteous acts of prayer, and righteous acts of self-denial flow out of a tender heart for God. Listen to my dead buddy Spurgeon as to his thought in this regard relative to external Christianity. Spurgeon said, quote, the kind of religion 
that makes itself to order by the calendar and turns out its emotions like bricks from a machine, weeping on Good Friday and rejoicing two days afterward, measuring it motions by the moon, is too artificial to be worthy of my imitation. End quote. God is not interested at all in artificial worship. The loyal kingdom follower of the Lord Jesus doesn't practice religion. He practices true righteousness. The next illustration making the point of the activity of a worshipful heart mind to the glory of God, the next topic Verses 15 to uh, uh, 18 is, of course, uh, fasting. And I want to give you, as we begin, a quick review uh, of, uh, of the biblical topic here. Uh, because uh, fasting is something we don't talk about very often. Because I don't believe we should talk about it very often. So, uh, here we go. Seven things by way of introduction. Number one, the Bible doesn't tell us how to do it. Number one, the Bible doesn't tell us how to fast. The Bible does record a number of godly people, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, who did fast. I cited one, John the Baptizer. I also told you that the Lord didn't often fast. He was known for feasting and not fasting. The Bible doesn't tell us how to do it. Number two, the Bible does not command us to do it. The Bible never commands us to fast. Jewish people, under the Old Testament law, were commanded to fast one day a year associated with the Day of Atonement. One day a year under the law. Number three, the Bible always links fasting with intense prayer over compelling matters and loss or mourning, like the death of a loved one. And if you've ever been around a person when they lost a loved one, you'll have to say to them, you better drink something. You better eat something. Because when emotions are so distraught, as in the day of the loss of a loved one, eating and drinking is not like at the top of your priority list. Who cares about eating? The soul is overwhelmed with loss. Some of you have recently known such a thing. Number four, religious fasting is a constant source of abuse in both the Old Testament and the New Testament eras. Number five, Jesus' disciples did not practice fasting and were criticized by the religious world around them for it. Jesus and his disciples did not practice fasting and they were criticized for it. Number six, Jesus did not commend, uh, condemn fasting, but warned of its inappropriate use. Interestingly, Jesus did not teach people to fast. He taught people to pray. I do not teach people to fast. I teach people to pray. I'm following my Lord. Religious fasting, number seven, religious fasting absor uh, involves the abstaining from food for a period of time in order to give one's full concentration upon relationship with God. 
Religious fasting involves abstaining from food for a period of time. And usually, in my experience, it is driven by false motivation. Fasting is and has been practiced by godly people, but is nothing more than a consecrated time and effort in order to seek the will of God on a thing or matter. The need for intense prayer is at all times in life and ministry, and there are many times in life and ministry where you need to get away to pray without distraction, thereby, in that sense, fasting would be very desirable. But please understand this. It's all about quality time with God. It is never about skipping lunch. Purposely going without is the most godly fashioning of one's life after the model of Christ who during the days of his earthly sojourn constantly went without the divine glory that he knew before the world was in order that he could become our Savior. So please understand that purposely going without is a godly discipline of grace. The New Testament epistles teach us that grace trains us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. One of the most plaguing forms of ungodliness and worldly lust is the religious form. The Lord taught his disciples to deny self to take up their cross in God appointment and life assignment. That is a good background and uh, a good sense of overview of where we're going with the words of Christ in the Messianic Manifesto, Matthew 6, 15 to 18. Purposeful going without, purposefully going without is commendable. It's commendable for temperance sake. It's commendable for concentration's sake. It's commendable for the pursuit of godly priority. So if somebody said to me, how could you fast and fast right? Well, I would say fasting's a good thing for temperance sake. Uh, fasting could be a good thing for concentration's sake. Fasting could be a good thing for the pursuit of godly priorities. Fasting can be a good thing, certainly as fasting is a part of the larger, purposeful going without. Deciding because of the priorities of your life, you're not going to do this, but you're going to do this. And to purposely go without that thing, without that engagement, is a very godly thing right after the very model of our Lord. Rightly understood, fasting is the purposeful going without 
food. But the errors associated with the word fasting and the ungodly practices in both the Old Testament and the New Testament eras make fasting an interesting subject to present publicly, let alone to think about rightly, privately, in order to fully appreciate the warning of our Lord regarding fasting, as we just read it here in Matthew chapter 6, Uh, Let's examine one of those Old Testament passages uh, where the problem with fasting is clearly demonstrated. Isaiah chapter 58, please. Isaiah chapter 58. The common error in fasting is clearly seen in God's own complaint against the nation of Israel as delivered by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 58, I'll begin by reading verses 1 to 5. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, God said to Isaiah, and show my people their transgression. Transgression, another name for sin, but specifically indicating willful sidestepping of God's desire. Willful Transgression, willful sidestepping in sin. Show my people, God said to Isaiah, their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. So now everything we're going to read is going to be under the umbrella of the exposure of Israel's transgressions and sins. And how they were sinning sounds pretty good to me. It sounds a lot like a lot of church worship to me. You ready? Here we go. They seek me daily, yet they seek me daily, and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness. Stop right there. What are they doing? Oh, they're seeking God daily. Boy, that sounds good to me. And they're they're seeking uh, to know uh, uh, the delight of God's way. Yep, that sounds good to me. Oh, that sounds good to me. Oh, that sounds good to me. But uh, it wasn't sounding good to God. Again, Verse 2, yet they seek me daily and desire to my know, uh, know my ways as a nation that did righteousness. Of course, they weren't doing righteousness. But when they came together on Sunday morning at 10, oh, it wasn't Sunday morning, it wasn't 10 o'clock, Teal, you know that, you know better than that. Yeah, I do, I know better than that. But when they came together at the appointed hour, oh, they were all gussied up, they were ready to go. They had it all nailed down as to what they're going to do and how they're going to do it and how they'd participate and, and when they go home and what's for dinner and blah, 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 They had it all figured out, all figured out. Uh, they were going through the, uh, the motions of worship as if they were righteous in their desire for God and that they forsook not the ordinance of God. Of course, they were forsaking the ordinance of God. They just acted like they weren't. I'm still in verse 2. Uh, they ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. All those things sound good until you realize that God through prophet Isaiah is being sarcastic. God is saying, you're worshiping me like that were true when it is not true of you. Verse 3, wherefore, we have fasted, say they, and thou seest not. They said, God, we're not the problem, you are. We're fasting, we're doing the things that you would have us to do, and uh, you're not responding to us right. Church isn't working for us. It wasn't church. I know that. Uh, It isn't working for us. 
Uh, uh, wherefore we have fasted, they say, and thou seest not. Wherefore we have afflicted our souls, and thou takest no knowledge. Behold, in the day of uh, your fast, ye find pleasure and exact all your labors. Uh, God said to the nation of Israel, when you show up for worship, guess who's pleased? You! Not me! Why'd you come? Oh, to worship God. What actually took place? People were pleased. Not God. And fasting was a part of that. Verse 4, Behold, ye fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. What's that about? God said, you people are going through religious rituals just because you think that somehow that's going to impress me. It's like showing up uh, uh, at the house, at the door, with the idea that you're going to really, really bless your wife for her birthday and you bought her a chainsaw. <laughs> it's not likely to cut it, mister. It's not likely to cut it. You missed the opportunity thinking that she was all into uh, wood cutting. And of course, there's going to be some woman in some Baptist church who'll say, Well, Pastor, I want you to know, I'm glad. To I know you are the woman who would love to have a chainsaw. May God bless you with one soon. That's what I would pray for you. But the vast majority of women I know would not be too happy on their birthday with a chainsaw. Nonetheless, nonetheless, these people are engaged in elaborate and detailed elements of fasting and clock-watching in order that they might impress God, who says to them through his prophet, I am not impressed with you. Verse 5. Is such a fast that I have chosen? Did I tell you to do that? Did I tell you that this would be something really good for you to do? Did I tell you that, says God to Israel? And the answer respected is, no. No, God didn't tell him to do that. A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? Is that what you would call it? Is that what you would call it? Is an acceptable day to the Lord? Is that what you would call the Sunday morning worship hour? An acceptable hour to the Lord? If the people are all pleased, because they really acted holy. But God is not pleased because hearts were not bent towards him. Wow. How deceived we can make our own hearts when talking about the things of God. We make up schedules and appointments and uh, rituals and uh, somehow expect that God would be impressed and favor us. Now you know that this idea of religious perfunctory performance apart from the spirit of truth 
and grace, you know that's been a, a constant error over the discourse of human history. So I'm coming back to Isaiah 58, so just put your hand there. But let's go to the New Testament for just a quick moment and look at Colossians and, uh, and uh, in chapter 2, where we can take the Bible's own commentary on the bigger, broader elements of religious ritual and perfunctory performances. Colossians 2, 18 to 23. Paul said to the church at Colossae, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility. What's voluntary humility? That's where you act humble, but you're really not. Uh, don't let anybody rip you off, beguile you from your reward in a voluntary humility and worship even of angels, intruding into those things which he had not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. I wish I could spend more time with verse 18, but you have in verse 18 of that uh, second chapter of Colossians, you have the seedbed of motivation for religion. Why is religion so popularistic? Answer, preachers love it. They get paid better. The preacher gets paid better on earth if he gives over to religious and ritual expectation among the flock. If he gives the people the idea that they can jump through hoops for him and that God will favor them, well, then they'll pay him better. And so Paul says, so much of that religious baloney uh, takes place uh, by vainly puffed up in one's fleshly own mind or egomaniac, and many preachers are. Verse 19, and not holding the head, which is Christ, from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the increasing of God. Listen, the truth of everything comes back to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The person and the work of Jesus Christ. The person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's why we preach Christ and him crucified. He's the head. Verse 20, wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ, your sins are geo and gone because of your faith in Jesus Christ. From the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not. Which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So when I'm the, the president of a small Bible college in Florida, we have a little deal whereby we honor our students when it's their birthday and they get to come and eat at the president's table in the dining hall. The president's table is where I, on a daily basis, entertain the chapel speaker. It's on, uh, on that table where I would entertain on a daily basis the, uh, the pastors that were visiting on campus and interact with uh, uh, those men uh, in the context of a day, 
And then when one of our students uh, had their birthday, uh, the secretary would notify them, please join President Thiel uh, at the president's table for lunch today. And uh, even if they were a married student and thereby hadn't paid for lunch service, they could still get a free lunch. And then they would interact with me and the pastors and the chapel speaker at, uh, at our table. And uh, so we did that as a, as, a, uh, as a blessing. We did that as a means to, to uh, you know, rub shoulders with the aspect of the students uh, in a regular and on, ongoing kind of a way. And 99% and, and, and of the time, it was a, it was a wonderful experience, and, and I was very glad for having done it. But this one day, uh, this one guy uh, came to the table, and uh, when he came and sat down, and uh, all the pastors and and uh, the chapel speaker was there. He sat down, and I greeted him and introduced him to the pastors and the chapel speaker personally as the one whose birthday uh, bought him a seat at the table. And, uh, and uh, he sat down, and I said, uh, uh, where's your tray? And he said, oh, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not getting a tray. I said, you're not? He said, no. I said, you're not eating? He said, no. I said, are you sick? He said, No. I said, oh, and then I made the mistake. I said, so what are you doing? <laughs> and he said, well, our church has got some really important things to decide, really, really important things to decide. I think it had to do with new hymnals, some really important things to decide. Our church has some really important things to decide. And so, uh, and so uh, uh, the whole church has been called to fast. I said, yeah. I said, when was the fast called? He said, it was called on Sunday. I said, this is Thursday. He said, yeah. I said, you're still fasting. He said, oh, yeah. I said, so you haven't eat for, eaten for a while? He said, no. And I said, because you're fasting so you can have direction in regards to something really important like new hymn books. And he said, yeah. I said, I'm asking you a question. Does church have the money? He said, yeah. I said, well, then let me write to it, write a note for him. Let me tell him what to do. <laughs> Buy the hymn books. On that day, I took the occasion to be kindly and to say to that young student preparing for ministry, you are all caught up in a ritualistic religious activity as prompted by the church that you attend and it has nothing to do with a heart towards God nor a decision process in the will of God. You've gone without food apparently for most of the week. Oh, you cheated on Monday night? Oh, you cheated on Tuesday night? Oh, you cheated on Wednesday morning? And isn't that exactly what happens when people get a somber face like I'm, I'm going to meet you for lunch, but I'm not going to eat because I'm fasting. You know what Jesus said about that? Jesus said, that person has their reward, and it's not coming from God. That person has what they really wanted, the attention and the approval of people. They say, oh, my, 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 isn't she godly? Oh, oh if I could be a godly person like that. Well, let me just tell you something. That's not godliness. And dear sister, please do not be like that. 
That's exactly what Jesus forbade. And in fact, the Apostle Paul says in that Colossians 2 passage, Paul says that that kind of thing has the appearance or a show of benefit, but actually does zippity-doo-dah in regards to constraining one's own sinful flesh. Wow! That's pretty instructive. And it shoots down an awful lot of what religious people say we ought to be doing with our lives. Back to Isaiah 58. We'll return to that text in just a moment. But let me introduce quickly the second thought this morning, which is the delights associated with self-discipline and denial. God instructs the Jewish people in Isaiah 58 of the value in seeking him with a whole heart and allowing nothing to stand in the way. Look at verse 6. Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou covers him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. What did God say? God said, the kind of sacrifice, the kind of going without, call that a fast if you want to, the kind of going without that I really delight in is when people exercise themselves to free other people from their sins to indeed help people that are overburdened with heavy weights in life. Uh, people that help uh, so that the oppressed can go free and that yokes can be broken and they deal, as it were, uh, bread uh, to those that are hungry and they deal with the poor with a sense of compassion and they don't hide themselves from their own flesh. Those are the kind of sacrifices, those are the kinds of going without that God told Israel he did delight in. The kind of sacrifice that actually helps other people in the name of God for the glory of God. When you and I choose to sacrifice something in order to maximize our opportunity in righteous action, God is glorified and your relationship with him is certainly enhanced. And so, again, I say, do we teach fasting? Well, no, not as a topic, but we certainly would teach the concept of self-denial. Grace itself, Titus 2, 11 and following. Grace itself teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. 
people that sacrifice personally so as to facilitate a missionary or so as to uh, facilitate a Bible translation or so as to facilitate something being done in their local church. That's a wonderful thing. But they have their reward if they do it in such a way so that everybody uh, knows about it. And yet you know how you're supposed to do a church, don't you? You know how you are supposed to do a church? You get something big you want to do and you say... Well, we got to do something here. It's got to be big. We got to do something big here. I think we're going to get a plaque, and it's going to have all these gold leaves on it. And we're going to put that plaque right over here. We're going to put that plaque right over here on the wall. Right over here on the wall. We're going to put a big old plaque. It's got leaves on it. And if you give $1,000 or more, we'll put your name on a leaf. Do you know how many golden leaves there are in churches? And if you do have your name on a leaf or your name on a brick, or your name on a wall. Here's what Jesus would say about that. You got your reward. You got your reward. You got your reward. My name is on no gold leaf. My name is on no brick. My name is not indeed chiseled or emblazoned on anything on this earth. For the eyes of men. For I've learned of the Spirit of God through the Word of God to do what I do for the glory of God and not for the eyes of men. That doesn't mean that when you come to me at the back door and say, Pastor, that was a great sermon. You know what I'll say, don't you? Praise the Lord. Bless the Lord. I don't beg off when somebody wants to compliment me. Neither should you beg off when somebody wants to compliment you. That's just being sober-minded. Just take it. Give God the glory for it. But don't poise yourself so as to be doing things so as that somehow God is going to say, oh, is he ever serious? Is he ever serious? Is he ever serious? Is he ever serious? Have you ever known in a family with multiple children that the parents exercise a tremendous amount of concern for the one who is kind of like out there and rough around the edges, and yet they have no concern for this other one that is like calm, cool, and straight A's? You ever notice that? And have you ever noticed that everybody else outside that family really likes this guy? And not so much this guy. You see, parents themselves have a tendency to be deceived in thinking the fact that the rough one is the one that is truly rebellious, when often rebellion takes the form of straight A's. Not commending B's or C's or D's. Not commending rebellion at all. I'm just simply saying that a lot of times the way it looks is not the way it is. In my first church, there was a, a dear, older lady. I came to love her. I came to really appreciate her. But she was ugly. <laughs> and she looked like she just kissed a, a dill pickle just before every service. And when I was 22 years old and starting out in ministry, I'd look down from the pulpit and I'd see Vera... 
And I think to myself, that woman hates me, that woman hates me, that woman hates me, that woman doesn't like me, that woman doesn't, she's not smiling or anything. I say something funny, she doesn't smile, she doesn't laugh. I say something godly, she doesn't say amen. She hardly moves. I mean, I've wondered on a number of Sundays whether she was still among us while she was with us, if you know what I mean. But Sherry and I got to know Vera, and she had a tremendous heart for God. And I came to realize that the way she showed in church was not the way it was. And that is almost always true concerning most of the people I know. Should we be concerned about the show? No. We do certainly want to be responsive and externally so for the benefit of others as best we can. But ultimately, 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 what matters is the heart in response to God. The demands of the Lord, thirdly this morning and quickly, the demands of the Lord as you exercise self-discipline. All right, back to Matthew 6 where we began. We'll end. Matthew 6, Jesus said, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head, wash thy face. If you anoint your head and wash your face, nobody would know you're fasting. Right! You wouldn't be bringing that which was your intention before God to the notice of everybody on Facebook. Right! Right! Jesus said that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father, which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly based upon the actual heart response that you have before God. God knows and God is pleased when our concern is over relationship with him and making the investments of a consecrated life with eternity's values in view. When that drives us to prayer, and self-denial, God is pleased. Religious people give, pray, and go without, seeking to impress God and men. They hope that such activity will win them favor and reputation. They hope to earn a smooth life of personal peace and prosperity. True disciples of Jesus Christ give and pray and go without, seeking only to glorify God and a genuine opportunity to invest with eternity's values in view. Religion is always focused on man's doings. Scripture is focused upon what God has done. 
Don't make your response to God about being seen by men. Make your response to God to God. The central truth of all that God has done for man is focused in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, God the Son. Since Christ is central to our salvation and central to our worship, we always try to bring at the end of every preaching opportunity, thought and honor and glory to Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we're doing this month using number 12 in our hymn book, Praise Him, Praise Him. Father, help us as we respond this morning to the truth as preached with focus here at the end upon our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be responsive to the revelation of God in Christ and to bring our honor and praise to Thee. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.